you are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. In Hebrews, where we have all things uh, greater and better in Christ, tonight we've come to the seventh chapter, the instruction about the priesthood that was interrupted by a great series of exhortations. The writer had introduced the idea of Melchizedek, a character that would appear to be the most minor of figures appearing in but a few verses uh, in the book of Genesis at uh, what seems to be rather uh, otherwise not terribly notable in comparison to other things, incident in the life of Abraham. But having mentioned Melchizedek, who wasn't mentioned in the pages of Holy Writ for a thousand years uh, before, uh, it's been a thousand years since his name had come up in the recorded conversations and exhortations of Scripture, the Hebrew writer said, look, I need to pause because some of y'all aren't ready for this. And then he talked about spiritual immaturity and the dangers after that of falling away, but concluded that exhortation saying, but we're convinced of better things concerning you and the things that accompany salvation. And so now having given that exhortation as to why those who are pressing on in faith can have absolute confidence in God's rock-solid word, we come back to that discussion of the priesthood of which the uh, the writer interrupted himself to go and give that exhortation. So now we're in the greater priesthood of Christ greater than uh, that which was done in uh, uh, Aaron and uh, in his name by his descendants. And we also see, and this will be in chapter 7, verse 11, where uh, we'll uh, hopefully conclude our studies tonight. We'll see the, the hinge point of this discussion, uh, the purpose of it. Why do we have so much on the priesthood here? It says, verse 11 of chapter 7, now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not designated according to the order of Aaron? So why do we switch from the order of Aaron, which uh, God's people had uh, lived and labored under for a millennia and a half? Why do we switch to the priesthood of Christ under the order of Melchizedek? Well, because if the Levitical priesthood had provided what people needed, the perfection there, which uh, comes with a full cleansing of conscience, comes with a full forgiveness of sins, which comes with a a full restoration uh, to God, then why would we need something else? So we need something else when the first doesn't suit, doesn't do the job. And so with that, then let's have our reading tonight from Hebrews chapter seven, the first 11 verses. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, 
And then also King of Salem, which is King of Peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Now observe how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. But, excuse me, verse 5, and those indeed of the sons of Levi, who received the priest's office, have a commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although they're descended from Abraham, but the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the case of mortal men who receive tithes, but in this case one receives them of whom it is witnesses witnessed that he lived on. And, so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection had come through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? Well, that is... I think for a lot of folks, pretty obscure. The obscure uh, nature of blessings, uh, who gives blessings and who receives them, when was the last time we received somebody blessing us, when was the last time that uh, uh, we gave blessings in that way, when was the last time we considered this uh, one-time character uh, from uh, from the life of Abraham. When was the last time we considered how many generations Levi was after uh, Abraham? When was the last time we thought about priest? When was the last time we thought about someone making for us the uh, way to God and being our intercessor? Well, we think about Christ in some of these things, Uh, Because the whole point of the priesthood is to bring men and women to God and take the things of God to them. But for us now, the second millennia, beginning almost now the third after Christ, who have such direct access to God through Jesus, it's easy for us to forget how vital a role this was played by men, men who dedicated their life to it, men who did it on the basis of a, of a proper genealogy, uh, because in the Levitical priesthood, the genealogy was everything. But now here comes Christ, who doesn't do it on a genealogy, but does it on the uh, basis of his own uh, character and worth and dignity, his, his, who he is as a person. It's easy for us to take some of these fundamental and uh, 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 background things almost for granted, because we have Christ who solved everything the priesthood would need for us, so much so that we occasionally think of Christ as priest, but it's not really a big point uh, of emphasis 
most times and most places. But uh, if I might just give an example of the importance of, of uh, something that we just consider uh, as automatic, uh, think about what happens when we go and we turn on the tap. We get fresh, clean water. And we get fresh, clean water from the tap nearly every time. So much so that we don't even think about it. Of course, there's water over there. Uh, and of course, it's going to be fresh. Of course, it's going to be uh, reasonably tasty. It kind of depends on you know what Mulvane's mixing uh, the water from the various sources today. But most of the time, it's going to be uh, pretty tasty. It certainly will be useful. Uh, and it will be, it'll just be there ready for us. But if we think about how that gets to us, we think about the infrastructure built uh, by clever men, uh, men who did a lot of math, uh, men who uh, put uh, uh, you know, plans together uh, for big pipes to be laid, uh, strong men who went and moved a lot of dirt, uh, dirty men who go and fix the system whenever it breaks, watchful men who are uh, there to monitor all kinds of gauges and dials and screens, uh, technicians who sample it and send it off uh, to for people in labs to test. It, with all that uh, work goes on behind the scene, we don't even think about it until something goes wrong. So very much it is with Christ and his priesthood. It's spiritual infrastructure. And how often do we think about infrastructure? Well, when we do, uh, we might get some uh, lovely little uh, you know, uh, documentaries like Modern Marvels and how it's made and, and various things like that. And sometimes we appreciate those things. And then after that, we go on about our day. Well, this is a spiritual infrastructure um, chapter. The priesthood of Christ, the things on which so many other things depend, uh, the, the work that Christ was doing, uh, that uh, the people of that day who had a temple and if they, if they went to the temple, there were uh, gates and there were fences to keep them out because only the priest could go in. And if they could catch a glimpse inside, there'd be this massive veil that kept uh, even the priest most of the time from going in. And you, you just trusted that the high priest was going in there for you behind the veil to do the right things. And then you could come out and say, I've done the things and now here's a blessing. Well, this is a chapter explaining our spiritual infrastructure in the priesthood of Christ. So we start with a history lesson because this priesthood that Christ has, it's said by an oath and promise of God to be by the order of Melchizedek, who comes up in exactly three places in our scriptures, almost exactly 1,000 years apart between these three. And so in the book of Genesis, there was this king, Genesis 14, um, that uh, he blessed, he came out from Salem and he blessed Abraham. He said, blessed be Abram, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abraham worshiped with him and Abraham gave him a tenth of the spoils. Uh, some men had come down from the north from around Damascus. They had taken great spoil and many captives from the city of Sodom. Among them was Lot, uh, Abraham, well, Abram, because his name hadn't even changed yet. Abram assembled his uh, men, those of his shepherds and those other men that he had. And he went and he chased those guys down because they'd taken Lot. 
If they hadn't taken Lot, they probably could have got away with it. But Abraham chased them down. Abraham freed Lot. He freed the uh, nobleman, choice men of Sodom. He, he also uh, gathered up and uh, the things that uh, had been taken as spoils by those of the north. He now had them as spoils for himself. He gave a tenth to God. He gave the vast majority of the rest of it back to the men of Sodom saying, you're not going to say I made, uh, you know, you guys made me rich. I didn't get rich off of your stuff. So he gave the people and he gave most of the things back. And then he went on about his business. And unless we're doing a complete study of the book of Genesis or a read through the Bible, you know, in a year, we're probably not going to come across this story very often. This story is close enough to the beginning. We probably haven't given up on our read the Bible in a year thing when we get to Genesis 14, because it's so near the beginning. But probably that wasn't even the highlight of the read that we read that day. All right. So here we find from Genesis, uh, some thousand years before David, and I bring that time reference up because David will be the next one to mention him in Psalms 110, a thousand years later, that the Messiah will be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So we had to have this spiritual history lesson to understand our spiritual infrastructure. Just like, again, if we're talking about uh, our water system uh, today and, and the glory of being able to just go and turn on the tap and get fresh water, somebody in explaining that will briefly show up a slide of a Roman aqueduct and say, look how far we've come. And so it is that we get uh, this uh, you know, ancient person uh, who is part of the system, and we need to appreciate uh, where it's all come from. So this Melchizedek, it said he was king of Salem. So he lives in exactly the place where Jerusalem is, right? So th this Salem is the same as the Salem of Jerusalem. And so here's a priest of God living in the place where the temple will be built a thousand years in the future. And so this priest shows up. He comes down off that holy mountain, and he uh, blesses Abraham as he's returning from that slaughter of those kings as Abraham had chased them all the way up and past Damascus, and he was on his way home. So Melchizedek had brought him food and drink. They worshiped together. He blessed Abraham. And we read the blessing already from Genesis 14, 19. So he is a priest of God. And so we think about Abraham as the, uh, oftentimes we think about as the singular servant of God in those days. Uh, well, there's no record of God speaking with other people, uh, unless maybe we think Job is of the same time as Abraham. I think he might have even been a bit before the time of Abraham. Uh, that's one of the most likely possibilities. Another possibility is that Job was a righteous man who lived uh, somewhere in the same general area while the children of Israel were down in, in Egypt in captivity. It's also given as a possibility. But there were some other righteous people out there. There were other people who uh, knew God, right? In the uh, days of Moses, when he fled from uh, uh, Pharaoh, who did Moses go live with? A priest in Midian. And that uh, his, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian is the last person who led the people of Israel in worship to God before Aaron was installed as priest. And so Moses' father-in-law led the people of Israel in the praise to God. 
So he must have been also a priest of the true God, right? So there were a few. There were some uh, people of God out there, aside from just Abraham, aside from just the children of Israel in those early days. So here's one of them. Well, what do we know about him? Well, not much. Uh, we, we know uh, the few verses of Genesis 14. Uh, we know the oath uh, that is given in his name to the Messiah to be a priest of God in uh, the time of David. And then by the thousand years, it's mentioned in the book of Hebrews. So from Genesis to David, there's no mention of him for a thousand years. He shows up in the book of Psalms. Uh, in the oath, he shows up again here as the very or head of the order or the, the, the type that is Christ. He's such an enigmatic figure. And what's said about him uh, here, about uh, being without genealogy, without uh, uh, beginning, without end of days, uh, there's some who think he was an angel. Uh, there's some who think he was a, the, an incarnation of Christ himself or some other um, uh, direct spiritual uh, action or, or, or being. I, I think it's just more likely that he's just a type of Christ who was a faithful man uh, in the days of the patriarchs, as was people like Jethro or Job or a few others. So it, the important thing here for our, uh, well, one of the important parts, verse 2, is that Abraham gave uh, an offering to God uh, to, uh, to the priest of God, which was Melchizedek. Abraham gave him tithes. Abraham gave him an offering. And he was this man who Abraham worshiped God through, showing his superiority uh, in these things, as the Hebrew writer will point out. This man was a king, the king of righteousness, the king of peace. So the king of righteousness and the king of peace is superior to Abraham. Now, isn't that what Jesus claims in John 8 that gets him in so much trouble with the Jews? <laughs> that he's the king of righteousness, he's the king of peace, he's greater than Abraham. And the Jews go, nobody was greater than Abraham. Here was one. And he was, a, he was the uh, type of which Jesus is the antitype, the fulfillment of the type. So here it is that we have this one uh, back then who God worshiped through and now we have this one who we worship through, uh, which is Jesus. So this king of righteousness, this king of peace, he was in this other way, verse 3, like Jesus, without father, without money, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. He remains a priest perpetually. And so it's on that statement that uh, he's a perpetual priest that some think— um, you know, he was uh, an angel of God or uh, he was um, Jesus in the flesh a uh, uh, first time or something like that. I don't think that's the case. I think that overreads it. But you think about, it again, with the Levitical priest, genealogy was everything, right? It all depended on genealogy. Uh, when they came back from the captivity, there's a little story in Ezra 2 in verses 61 and 2 about some men who came and said, hey, we're priests. And the uh, people in Jerusalem said, okay, let's see your paperwork. Let's see your genealogy. Let's bring out the birth certificates. And they couldn't produce it. And so I don't know if they were trying to pull a fast one and get into the priesthood uh, in the days of confusion after the exile, 
uh, if they were men who legitimately should have been priests, but uh, by unfortunate accident had lost the ability to prove that. Or if, I don't know, maybe their family gave them stories when they were little that weren't quite true, uh, got a little exaggerated, and they came in that when that story was tested, it fell apart. I don't know. But I know those guys couldn't be priests because they couldn't prove their genealogy. So in, in the Levitical priesthood, genealogy was everything. How, how close are you related to Aaron? It's got to be a straight line descent. It didn't matter how many generations it was, but it did matter that it was a straight, direct line. Genealogy was the key. Well, in the book of Genesis, what's said about the genealogy of Melchizedek? Why, nothing. He just shows up as a priest, and then he just disappears as a priest. He fades off into history with the spoils, uh, taking them back to whatever uh, you know temple or shrine or, or altar that he had for God. Uh, put to good use, I'm sure, as a priest of God would do. And so he shows up, he gives blessings, he leads the worship, he takes home the tithe, and that's it. Uh, so I think he was a real man who lived and died. But according to the record, there is no genealogy that qualifies him for that. There is no record of him living and of him dying. There are several places in the scriptures where there are list of the high priest. I think there's one in Chronicles where we get to 23 of the high priest counted out. Uh, there's one of the Bible dictionaries of uh, that I uh, have seen where they list 81 high priests from the time of Aaron to the time of the destruction of Jerusalem. And there's lists. You know who they are. Uh, it, it, it's traceable. I don't know if it can all be proven and, and nailed down exactly to be 81 like that Bible dictionary did, but you know that these men uh, served, they lived, they died, they were there by genealogy. Uh, the Melchizedek is a priest, no record of his birth, no record of his death, no record of his genealogy, no record of anything. He has no predecessors or ancestors. He has no descendants, except that Christ will come like him. Not on the basis of a genealogy to qualify him to be a priest, but on the person that he is that qualifies him to be the priest. So by the record, he's just there, and he's perpetually a priest. This will literally be true, as we see about Jesus down in verse 25. He ever lives to make intercession for the saints. So with, with uh, Melchizedek, what's concluded on the basis of a lack of record is actually in Jesus positively affirmed on the reality of his continuing to live. So we see then, we have our priestly king, and our priestly king is superior to Abraham. What does that tell all, uh, you know, you Jewish folks, right? If, who want to have, oh, but we've got a high priest. No, but we got a better one. Yeah, but we have a, well, we, we've had kings, though. So, uh, we got a better one. Uh, we've got Christ. Well, now the, the order, the way of the priesthood, we see, is superior, it's better, in Christ. Verse 4, now observe how great this man was. Well, <laughs> it's not often we say, in comparison to Abraham, consider how great this fellow was. Normally we say, consider how great Abraham was. In this case, it's consider how great Ab this guy was uh, you know, compared to Abraham. How much more Christ compared to Abraham? But consider how or observe how great this man was, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of, 
of all the spoils. And so uh, Abraham gave him the choicest spoils because he would then go offer those uh, to God. Abraham was giving to God and giving to Melchizedek. So the same with us when we worship through Jesus Christ. Is God jealous? Are we supplanting the Father? No, we're, we're through, through Jesus going to God. And then, verse 5, so he's, he's better than Abraham. And, well, we're going to see Abraham's the granddaddy of them all, uh, of the Jews and of the, the sons of Levi and of those of Aaron and, and all. Those indeed are the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although they are descendants from Abraham. So the Levites, they've got a place, and the law gave them their place, that being of the uh, of Levi, being of, of that tr- priestly tribe, they could take a tenth. But before the law was, Melchizedek was there, and he took a tenth, right? And so in Genesis 14, we see the priestly role that's above Abraham long before the law. And ironically, in Genesis 15, Abraham believed God. It was reckoned him as righteousness. The way of faith by which Abraham was saved is also long before the law. So the way of the priesthood of Christ is Genesis 14. The way of salvation by faith is Genesis 15. And these things long predate the law for anyone who wants to be saved by the law. We got the law. We got the law. Well, uh, the Hebrew writer and the Apostle Paul will say, I got the thing 400 years before that, right? <laughs> Which is a priesthood by a, a, a righteous king and salvation by faith. So the, the Levites certainly under the law could take the, take the tithe. That was their right. But that didn't make them superior to Jesus. The Levitical priests were not superior to Jesus because Jesus came by the sway of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was above their grandpappy Abraham, and so Jesus is above them. There's no comparison in honor and dignity in place. So they take the tithe from their brethren, though they're descended from Abraham. Abraham gave the tithe to somebody outside the family. He gave it to Melchizedek. And so by extension, these guys did too. Verse 6, but the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham. And blessed the one who had the promise. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Again, that's a thing kind of foreign to us. We don't have uh, formal blessings very often given. If anybody ever would give a blessing, we'd make sure everybody knows. We, I do this not on the basis of my own dignity, but I do this on the you know word of God. I give you the blessings of the word. It's not of Jay. It's, it's of God. But here's a blessing given uh, given on the basis of the personal dignity of the one who's giving it. So when Abraham would give a blessing, when he gives a blessing to Isaac, boy, isn't that something. When, it, when Isaac would give the blessing to Jacob, wasn't that something, right? And Esau said, no, I want that something too. And sorry, bud, it's too late. I already gave it to your brother. Uh, Jacob, then when he would give the blessing as an old man to, to Joseph, when Joseph then would would bless the children of Israel. So when there's a blessing given, it's the greater one who's blessing the lesser ones. That's why he can give a blessing to them. And so when Melchizedek is 
giving a blessing to Abraham, where does that put Melchizedek? Above their highest one. If you're a Jew, where does it all start? Who's the fountainhead? Who's the granddaddy? Who's, who's the everything? It's all Abraham, uh, right? The, the Jews will get mad at Jesus again. We'll soon be in John 8 in our, our Bible studies on Sunday morning. But when Jesus uh, lets them know his position is above Abraham's, they lose it. They totally lose their minds. But he was above Abraham, right? By his person, by being the Lord. He was by this priesthood, uh, by the order of Melchizedek, which Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. So we got a greater priesthood. And again, not ways we normally think of things. Again, spiritual infrastructure, I think, is, is the right way we can think about this. So verse 8, in the case of mortal men who receive tithes, but in the case of one receives them, of whom it's witnessed that he lives on. So we have but one Melchizedek. There's no many Melchizedeks to come. There's only one living on Melchizedek. When it came to the priest of Levi, well, how many were there? Again, in 1 Chronicles 6, verses uh, 3 through 14, there are 23 priests that are named. That Bible dictionary that I mentioned lists uh, 81 from uh, Aaron down to the time of the destruction of Jerusalem. But there's just but one living on, perpetual, like the Son of God uh, priest after Melchizedek. Well, and that's what the psalm says. After, in the way, after the order of Melchizedek will be Christ. And how does one get that? How does one get to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek? Well, if you're a Mormon, they got a way for you to do it, but they, they just made it all up, didn't they? And they made it all up pretty recently. But in the scriptures, how does one get to be an order, a priest after the order of Melchizedek? Well, we'll see next week, God gives an oath. And you're in when God gives you the oath. And you're a person worthy of the office. Not when you have descended from any particular genealogy. And so it is to speak that even though Abraham, that through Abraham, even Levi, again, the head of their priesthood, received tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. And so nobody after the order of Levi will ever be of a higher place than Melchizedek. That you can't get to the be the of, of the place of Levi, much less his great grandfather Abraham. You just can't be that high. You can't have that position. But Christ can, because he ever lives. He's not there by genealogy. He's there by being the King of Peace, by being the King of Righteousness, by being the designated one of God, like the priest of old. So we're glad for that because verse eleven. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood. And there's the thing. The Levitical priesthood is a central part of the law, right? How do you have the law without the priesthood? Well, the Jews, after the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, it took them a couple hundred years, but they basically rebuilt a new religion they called Judaism without priests and without a temple and without sacrifice because they didn't have their genealogies anymore. They didn't have their temple anymore and still don't have those things. And so they built what's often been called rabbinical or ethical Judaism. And Judaism today is a religion 
is based on the teachings of the rabbis and the ethical teachings of the law. Now, in comparison to so many of the world religions, the, as God-based as it is, uh, it's uh, you know got a lot in common with Christianity. It's got a lot of things, I think, going for it as opposed to a lot of pagan religions. But it's not the religion of the law, is it? It's a new thing. It's a, it's a, it had to morph. In some ways, it's greatly diminished. Uh, in some ways, uh, because you didn't have the rituals, uh, they did emphasize the things that were more important, like things of the heart and, uh, and faithfulness, because you couldn't just go through the rituals. Although over the centuries, Jews have uh, made a lot of rituals. But um, they don't have the priesthood, and they don't have the sacrifices. So they had to have a different kind of thing. Well, so it is here, but in the God-approved way, verse 12, when the priesthood changed, their necessity needs to take place a change of the law also. Well, we, we, the law was changed. We went from law uh, to we went to the gospel, didn't we? We went to a different kind of thing. So a perfection, that cleansing of the conscience, that uh, perfect uh, dealing with sin, that uh, uh, complete way of answering men's real needs, uh, that uh, dealing with uh, uh, sin so that there wasn't this uh, continual remnant of sin that uh, continually plagued the conscience because the law couldn't make things perfect, as we'll see directly stated. If, if, if the Levitical priesthood had done that, we wouldn't need something else. But even in the time of David, just as the Levitical priesthood is about to be restored to its highest place, probably in the history of keeping the law, because when they got to the promised land and they dispersed the priests of the land and they worshiped the temple, what happened to the priesthood? Well, it kind of declined, right? It kind of got it forgotten about. People didn't give their tithes. Uh, when David uh, concentrated things back in Jerusalem, and uh, by his efforts, Solomon was able uh, to build the temple, and we had the regular order of things as David organized the priest into their 24 courses and the like. It's just at that very same time where the priests are being re-elevated and put back to the central place in society that the law intended for them to have, and now they've got this permanent temple at which to exercise all these things. That's when God, through David, says... I'm bringing another priesthood. I'm bringing a different kind of priest. And so even, even at its best, God says, we're going we're gonna to go with this for a while, but we got something else coming. So verse 11, again, in that light, if perfection had come through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the people received the law. And think about it, is, is Moses, who was a Levite, is Moses read the law, uh, so many times, what, who was there beside him? Aaron the priest, right? And they would read it and do sacrifices, and they'd sprinkle the the book, and they 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 would take uh, at the direction of the priest. They would take the oaths to follow it, and they'd be sprinkled with blood, and there used to be blood spread all over the place with big hyssop branches, right? So they received the law on the basis of this priesthood. If that had really got the job done. What further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not designated according to the order of Aaron? So if the things of Aaron had got it done, 
we would have stuck with the things of Aaron. But the things of Aaron didn't get it done. So we brought in a new priest and we brought in a new law. So going on, the replacement and the effects of that replacement priesthood, that better priesthood of Christ, Lord willing, will be our next study as we look some more at Hebrews chapter 7. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Malvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.